What an incredibly beautiful child, huh? So innocent, so pure, so perfect. That is Kafir Bibas. This is before he was taken hostage by terrorist lunatics in Gaza. Today is his first birthday. He's one year old today. Um, and he's being held hostage by terrorists. And a huge chunk of the world thinks that there are two sides here. If just both sides could settle down. One side is evil. A side that would take a child like this hostage. And I got to admit, I mean, how much have we been thinking about the hostages, right? How much attention? The hostages. Who remembers the American hostages that Iran took? You know, at the embassy, we were on the edge of our seat for 444 days, appropriately so. Why is it that these hostages, a baby in the, amongst them, hardly anything, babies, young girls, this, um, this is Noah Agarmani, she's 26 years old, here she is being taken off by, taken away by terrorists, we know she's alive, there's that, a proof of life video was posted, here she is in captivity, the barbarians who would do this to women and children, actually any person, but especially women and children, it is a stain all over again. I can't believe that this is happening still. Can you? And meanwhile, the Biden administration, they're just kind of going with the flow, right? Tony Blinken over there, chilling at the World Economic Forum, doesn't seem to be breaking a sweat for these hostages. Just wants Israel to kind of, hey, cool it already, all right, with your, with your counterattack, with your rescue operations, with your, this is, I mean, it's just indescribable how crazy the world has become. How many days has it been now since October 7th? 103 days, 103 days. We, we cannot forget. And you know, I, I, I noticed that other hostage campaigns, I mentioned the American hostages, understandably, right, right? But remember the, the girls in Nigeria? Bring back our girls. First Lady Michelle Obama, right? A lot of celebrities posting, hashtagging. Celebrities don't want to get too mixed up in the, the Israelis situation, right? Because, well, a lot of them think the Israelis are the aggressors. Can you believe it? They do. What a perverted, corrupt culture we have. Hey, where's, uh, where's Michelle now? An American babies and toddlers are actually being held prisoner by terrorists. This is her picture today. Here's Michelle Obama at some lair somewhere in the world. Her husband posted this picture, President Obama, celebrating her 60th birthday. More on that bizarre moment in a little bit, but how about that for priorities? You know, the last time children that I know of, children were held by an international power, and I'd have to say Hamas, the Palestinians, whatever, they are something of an international power, right? Saddam Hussein had that little boy held him and others as human shields. Do you remember that? After he went into Kuwait, he took a lot of hostages and held them with the hope that, hey, they're not going to bomb me if I have this little kid sitting on my lap. This infuriated the world, and the world mobilized. You remember Operation Desert Shield? We had a lot of international support. 
we moved a half million guys over there, soldiers, tanks, planes, you name it. We went over there to do the job and do it right. Not like in 2003, but that's another story. Uh, and then there was Operation Desert Storm. Yep, decisive, overwhelming and decisive. That's the way you do war. Uh, and we won it in about 100 days. Anyway, that's how we should be rolling. When we do something, we got to do it decisively. And nobody messes with a country that is strong and acts decisively. Our policy for the past 70 years, anybody know the slogan, peace through strength? Peace through strength. It really is profound. The world now respects America's policy of peace through strength. The United States is again the confident leader of the free world. For 30 years since the end of World War II, our strategy has been to preserve peace through strength. In foreign affairs, I'll continue our policy of peace through strength. America is fulfilling our destiny as peacemaker, but it is peace through strength. We are stronger now than ever before. Not that long ago either. And for decades, we were consistently the world didn't mess with us. Joe Biden shows up and everything falls apart. They sense weakness. They saw it. This was really the moment that turned everything around for this country and really for the world. Our horrific exit from Afghanistan. The way it was done, the manner we blew it, and now the Taliban is in control. Um, and after what happened to our Israeli friends, right, what Hamas did, you know what Joe did? Pretty much not much at all. Quiet, quiet. After the first day, said something, and then it was, well, I'm not going to say anything about this. I'm not going to say anything about that. And finally, when he did get to the microphone, he said nothing about anti-Semitism and nothing about Iran. Joe is weak. The world knows it. The world sees it. And the world is exploiting it. This is what happens. And this year is really, really dangerous because they know that Joe might be on the way out. Right. I mean, he's on the way out one way or the other. This guy can't go on. They can't go on like this. Everybody knows that. So the world is like trying to get their last licks in. Right. Because we're on our back right now. We weren't not that long ago because we had a guy in Trump who knew how to lead, knows how to lead and has been doing it really for most of his adult life. All through the 1980s, Trump was busy building something new, and it wasn't a skyscraper. Billionaire developer Donald Trump has put his name on a New York City hotel, shopping center, and apartment buildings, as well as a casino in Atlantic City. And now he's going to put his name on a big piece of Eastern Airlines. Now the sophisticates out there would say, oh, ho, oh, oh, that's not, that's nothing, that's silliness, that doesn't mean anything, it means everything, actually. To do that stuff, you have to be a leader. You have to be decisive. You're making things happen out of nothing. Building a building, that is huge. Joe Biden, where has he spent his adult life? Most of it in the United States Senate. One of 100 guys, one of 100 people. Do you learn leadership there? He never had a significant leadership post. He was never a majority leader, a minority leader. Where is he? All the way in the back, all the way in the back. Learning, I don't know, not much, right? So, look. Even his resume stinks for the presidency. He has no, his brain is failing. He was never that smart, always saying stupid things, lying all the time, and he has no executive experience. Meanwhile, the man with executive experience with supreme talent 
You see what they're doing to him still, this E. Jean Carroll thing. Uh, Donald Trump was not at the trial today. He wanted to be, but he couldn't because, well, he had to be by his wife's side for his mother's, his mother-in-law's funeral. Melania's mother died. And uh, you can't not go to your wife's mother's funeral, right? Do you know what the judge said? This came up as an issue. Can we take the day off? The judge said, you can go to the funeral or you can go to the trial, but you can't do both. Now, a lot of the smart set right away were saying, well, Donald Trump doesn't have to be there. He has lawyers. It's funny because in the first part of the trial, uh, back in May, they were all giving him a hard time because he did not go to the trial. He just sent his lawyers, and they thought that was very arrogant and uh, a big mistake. Donald Trump was not here. He didn't appear for any part of the trial, and he didn't testify. They called him a no-show. Trump did not come here, did not look them in the eye, and deny these claims. He didn't make an appearance personally. He did not testify in open court in front of a jury, period. He did not. Mr. Trump chose not to attend the civil trial, wasn't in the courtroom when the verdict was read. A no-show, and that was somehow disrespectful to the system, to the jury. If only he had been there to make his case in person. And now, during the penalty phase, he wants to be there in person. And the same sophisticates, the elite media, right, saying, oh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have to be there. Trump voluntarily attends legal proceedings that he does not have to be present for, then refuses to follow the rules, spars with a judge. He doesn't need to be there. It certainly doesn't help him legally. The judge there threatening to kick Trump out of court for commenting during testimony, testimony that Trump is attending voluntarily, yeah. uh, but a very dramatic day there in court. All right. So for all of them, Trump, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. How about that, huh? doesn't matter. We're seeing amazing things, amazing things right before our eyes. They're trying to take him out, but he's just getting stronger. And look at this. We're all seeing it. We can all see Monday night. He wins the Iowa caucus by record margin. No one has ever done that. 30 points. It's never been done before. All right. The following morning, Tuesday morning, he's in that New York City courtroom. That night he's in New Hampshire giving a great speech. Wednesday morning, it's back in court. And then Wednesday night, it's back to New Hampshire. Could Joe Biden hack any of this? No, he can't. We all know that, all right? We're seeing it every day. Look at Joe Biden's past couple of uh, days and weeks. Left for Camp David, vacation at Camp David, return from Camp David, go to the Virgin Islands, come home for the Virgin Islands. <laughs> it goes on like this. On and on and on. Uh, nothing on January 3rd. Nothing. Angry speech. Time off. Time off in Delaware. Another angry speech. Nothing, 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 nothing. So even as they try to take him out, it's just blowing up in their face, isn't it? This big plan, it's not working. And you want to see Joe screwing up today? Why not? All right. We got to make sure that people see this because it's not played by the regular media. Here he is. Uh, well, it kind of tells its story itself. Appreciate it very much. I also want to mention Congressman De Deborah Ross. Where's Deborah? This year, I just had my picture taken with her. That's probably why she left. No, all kidding aside. Anyway, you, you can, oh, she couldn't be here, actually. That's not true. I got it mixed up. And she has, you know, she fights very hard for the people of this district, and she's up in Washington right now. You know, the president just should never say mixed up. Should never be 
self-deprecating, actually. You know, a lot of people in society are very self-deprecating. It's very culturally accepted. Maybe we shouldn't be like that. I don't know. Um, I know this, though. Joe had a role in Donald Trump's legal issues. Absolutely. Donald Trump being arrested all over the place. You think this was not coordinated with the White House? There is ample evidence that it was. Forget the fake news. Actually, you've heard them a bunch. Let's skip that. They, they're all over the place saying there's no evidence that Joe Biden had anything to do with this, anything to do with these arrests, anything to do with these indictments. Circumstantial evidence is evidence, okay? It is. Here's Joe Biden making a peculiar statement in uh, late 2022, just before Donald Trump announces his run for president. We just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by, uh, if, we, uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. About that, huh? What a weird thing to say. What did he say? It's actually because he's mumbling a lot, right? We are just going to make sure that he's not president. We'll just have to demonstrate that he will not take power by if we, if he does run. I'm making sure he, under legitimate efforts of our Constitution, does not become the next president again. That is a far cry from saying, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to run. I'm running and I'm going to beat him. I'm going to get more votes than that guy. No, under the efforts of our, right? They, they're going to use the Justice Department to get him. And how many days after that did Donald Trump announce for president? November 15th. Let's hear a little bit from that. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. All right, six days later, President Trump runs. And shortly after that, how many days later does the Attorney General of the United States announce that Jack Smith character is going to investigate Trump? Huh? What is that? Was it three days later? Yeah. Three, right in plain sight. Today, I signed an order appointing Jack Smith to serve as special counsel. The order authorizes him to continue the ongoing investigation into both of the matters that I have just described and to prosecute any federal crimes that may arise from those investigations. How about that one, huh? Hmm. All letter of the law. What did Joe say again? Under the uh, <laughs> under legitimate efforts of our Constitution, does not become the next president again. They're they're doing it. This is not from the ground up. This is from the top down. All right. Clearly, we all know that. Hey, Jack Smith, you know, his wife works with Michelle Obama. Yes, his wife actually helps Michelle Obama make movies. Did you hear about this tweet? A fascinating birthday message from Barack Obama. We're going to break it down and find out what's really going down when I come back. Today's Tech Bites, the Obama's new podcast deal. The first couple's production company, Higher Ground, is moving to Audible after a three-year run with Spotify. The Financial Times reports Penguin Random House will pay Barack and Michelle Obama more than $65 million for a dual book deal. That's a new record. From president to producer, former President Barack Obama has confirmed he and his wife Michelle have signed a multi-year deal with the streaming service Netflix. 
man. And they stink as writers, as film producers, as podcasters. So thoroughly boring. They only like to talk about themselves. That's what they're really passionate about. And Michelle uh, turned 60, and they're making a big deal about it. And why am I talking about it? Well, it's actually fascinating because... They're talking about Michelle becoming uh, a candidate, actually possibly replacing Joe Biden as a Democrat nominee. And to be honest with you, I think that she would be, I thought that she would be tougher than Joe Biden, tougher to beat than Joe Biden until, until today, actually. Uh, Donald Trump is going to have a very easy time if she dares gets in the race. So, uh, and this is the tweet that did it. So she's 60 years old, and Barack Obama puts out this tweet. This is what 60 looks like. Happy birthday to my better half, who happens to be one of the funniest, smartest, most beautiful people I know. Michelle Obama, you make every day better. I can't wait to see what this new decade brings you. Now, talk about people who are totally and completely out of touch, everybody, all right? That island, that lair, I think it's a trillionaire's house, but the tweet is bizarre, okay? Let's go. That first line there. Happy birthday to my better half, who happens to be one of the funniest, smartest, most beautiful people I know. I don't know. I don't think you're supposed to say to your wife, you're one of the most beautiful people I know. I don't know, especially on her birthday, especially on her 60th. And that last line is kind of kooky, too. I can't wait to see what this new decade brings you. What about us, right? Us together, there's something going on. It's a little bit weird, but what I find most objectionable is the locale. This is what 60 looks like. Yeah, if you're an up-and-coming billionaire, where are they? It's unclear. An island, an island. Democrats in those islands, huh? Uh, okay, what else did I want to look at? How do, how do regular people celebrate, right? How do regular people go to the beach? They go to the beach like this, okay? Or even Joe Biden, when he goes to the beach, how does he go to the beach? Remember, he went on that regular beach with all, there he, where's Joe? There he is. I don't know. I feel like they're a little bit too high on them, a lot too high on themselves. They, they're billionaires, they're so out of touch, and people know it, they see it. They know that they're not really working. They don't do anything. But there is this sense that she might actually run. Her willingness to speak her mind prompted an outcry for Michelle Obama to run for president herself in 2020. To see Michelle Obama, a lot of people there told me that they would like to see her run for president one day, maybe in 2020. One woman told me that if Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton were on the same presidential ticket, she would absolutely vote for Michelle Obama. All right, 2020, and it's happening all over again for 2024. Um, I don't like her, all right? Number one, she was rude to Melania. Melania, the incoming first lady, goes to the White House. Watch what happens. Melania has a beautiful gift, and she presents it to Michelle. What, look at this. Do you remember this? Look at this. Okay. Hi. She smiles. Isn't that nice? Here's a gift for you. Isn't that wonderful? Now look at her. Mm. It's like makes a face, doesn't you know? Makes a big fuss about it. Like I don't. This you should not have given me this. And then she goes on the Ellen DeGeneres show and actually complains that Melania gave her a gift. That is a person who's totally out of touch, who doesn't know anything about life anymore. Maybe she did a long time ago. And like I said, she knows nothing about creating content. This is a scene 
These are scenes from her do documentary about herself becoming Michelle Obama. Um, what she really wants to flaunt is power and status. Michelle Obama, half of her movie is about her getting in and out of SUVs with the Secret Service guarding her. What's happening? It's chilly. It hey, mommy. Chilly. You see how important she is with the entourage? Half the movie. I mean, this is it. Her getting in and out of cars. And there they go. They arrive somewhere, and then they leave. Uh, and she goes in and out of stadiums. <laughs> getting off of private jets. It's silly. It's silly. And she's silly. She's not serious. I hope she does run. It'll be a hell of a lot easier, actually, than almost anybody else. We'll be right back. Newsmax. Shoots it straight. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. Newsmax. They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. So that's Governor Doug Burgum, Republican of North Dakota. By all accounts, he's a, a great governor of North Dakota and was a very successful businessman before that. So he had a great record. Why not run for president? He did run for president as a Republican. He declared last June. Um, and I know a lot of people who actually liked what he had to say, but didn't often get a chance to say it at the debates and uh, never really caught on. He dropped out of the race, but endorsed President Trump. And he was there on stage when President Trump clinched Iowa the other night. And President Trump had some kind words and uh, a few observations about Governor Burgum. We have a man that was very impressive. And I say there's nothing wrong with it. He's so solid and so good that he didn't catch on. Sometimes being a little controversial is good. He's so perfect. Although he did break his leg during the campaign, that wasn't so good. But it sort of stood out a little bit, Doug. But Doug Burgum from North Dakota, the governor, and his beautiful wife, Catherine. The traction is never easy, right? You need controversy for traction sometimes. And this guy is the most solid guy. There's no controversy whatsoever. And he's one of the best governors in our country. And I hope that I'm going to be able to call on him uh, to be a piece of the administration, a very important piece of the administration. What an interesting moment. Governor Doug Burgum, um, welcome to Newsmax. Welcome back to Newsmax. Uh, I'm really impressed with you and what you did, and quite frankly, what the president just did. Uh, how are you feeling tonight? How are you feeling about things? Well, Greg, uh, great to be on with you. And first of all, thank you for your military service. Appreciate your service to our country. But I feel great about the fact that President Trump had a historic win in the Iowa caucuses. I, when I was running for president, we were talking about three things, the economy, energy, national security, which includes border security. I've had a chance to serve as governor under both President Trump and serve as a governor of a big energy and ag state under Joe Biden. And I can tell you, it's night and day. It is completely different under President Trump. 
We had the wind at our back. The focus was on innovation with Joe Biden. He's wrong on energy. He's wrong on the economy. He's wrong on national security. Uh, and he's all about regulation, not about innovation. Uh, and it's taking our country in the wrong direction. So very exciting on Monday night uh, to have the president have a historic win by all measures uh, in Iowa. I think this uh, primary race is going to be over by next Tuesday. And we can unite as a party and focus on beating Joe Biden uh, in November. Sounds terrific. Hey, uh, you've been through the process now running for president. Um, how do you feel you were treated? And, you know, if you could overhaul the process, is there anything you would suggest or do? I mean, it's uh, it's it's far from a perfect system. Well, I, I, I've joked with uh, some of my friends afterwards and even some of the voters, which is, the debate stage rules to get on the debate stage is maybe they ought to have criteria. Like if you've never created a job in the private sector, then you shouldn't be on the debate stage. Or if you've never worked on a farm or a ranch or taken, worked at a job where you had to take a shower at the end of the day versus the beginning of the day, uh, you shouldn't be on the debate stage. Because I think we need real Americans. Uh, and of course, it, with President Trump, we've got a business leader who ran as an outsider in 2016. He and I, both of us, running for office the very first time. We got elected on that first day. I endorsed him in 2016 early. I endorsed him in 2020. Uh, endorsed him again now because he's the right choice for right choice for this country. But we all had our shot. Uh, the folks that are still in it had their shot. I think the evidence is clear. Uh, President Trump is leading in all 50 states. Uh, let's move on from this primary and get focused on winning the White House uh, and get our country going in the right direction in November. Uh, Joe Biden today on the tarmac trying to dismiss the importance of what happened on Monday night. Let's take a look at that. What Iowa means to you, to your re-election race? Well, I don't think Iowa means anything. When the president got 50-some thousand votes, the lowest number of votes anybody's won got, you know, uh, this idea that's kind of runaway, I, he can characterize any way he wants. You know, Iowa is still a bit of a swing state. I don't think that was necessarily the smartest thing uh, to say. Um, President Trump mentioned you possibly being a piece of his administration. Kerita, where do you think you could be most effective in a Trump administration? Well, I think that's a question for uh, President Trump after we help him win the election next November. But just going back to Joe Biden, I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, Iowa, such an important state like North Dakota, helping to feed and fuel the nation and feed and fueling the world and overwhelming support for President Trump across that state. He has turned that state from a blue state into a red state uh, starting in 2016. For Biden to dismiss that and dismiss the amount of support. Uh, President Trump won in Iowa with women. He won with rural voters. He won with urban suburban voters. He won with college educated voters. He won across the board. He won 98 out of 99 counties. Uh, that's This is a uh, I think it's wonderful if, if Joe Biden thinks that he can be dismissive of that because uh, this is a strong indicator. And understand that vote count came on a night you know, when wind chills were like 40 below. I mean, the, the voter intensity and support for President Trump is really incredible. We, Catherine and I campaigned all over Iowa, all over New Hampshire. Uh, President Trump's going to win New Hampshire as well. And, and I said this, uh, we got to close out this primary, get behind one candidate and go back and win the White House. And uh, Nikki Haley and... Ron DeSantis, do you think either of them should drop out? Should anybody be dropping out right now, or should they give it a shot in uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina? Well, I think New Hampshire is a week away, but I think uh, if President Trump wins in New Hampshire, I think we should just say, hey, let's, uh, let's go. We've got the candidate. Uh, he's leading, like I said, in all 50 states. 
The sooner we start spending money against Joe Biden and stop spending money, Republicans attacking Republicans, classic mistake we make, uh, the better chance we have of getting our country going in the right direction again. Because under Joe Biden, the world is less safe. Uh, we have energy policy that are empowering foreign dictators, whether it's uh, Putin or whether it's Iran or whether it's Venezuela. You know, all the energy policies are designed really to help China. I mean, we can't trade uh, OPEC for Sinopec and expect it under Joe Biden's uh, Green New Fantasy that we're going to have EV everything. That's just not going to work. It uh, doesn't work in cold weather, doesn't work in northern climates, doesn't work for aircraft, as you would know. And so we need liquid fuels. And, you know, Joe Biden's on Team China for energy and, and uh, President Trump, he's Team USA. All right. Governor, really great to meet you. Great to chat. Good luck. And we'll see. I think you'd be better at Treasury than Commerce. Something tells me they're going to want to put you at Commerce. Hold out for Treasury. Good luck, sir. And we'll be right back. Oh, brother, did you hear about this? Uh, Pakistan uh, hit Iran. Now Iran is hitting Pakistan. The Houthis are still at it. We're trying to stop the Houthis, but we don't seem, doesn't seem to be very decisive what we're doing. And of course, Hamas still has all of those hostages, and uh, Israel is still trying to crush Hamas. Seems like maybe the world is trying to get in its last licks before Donald Trump comes back and changes everything. I don't know, though. Let's bring in the experts. Fred Fleiss, senior fellow at the America First Policy Institute, Trump administration veteran, and of course, Waleed Farris from the Transatlantic Parliamentary Group Secretary. He's also the author of Iran, an Imperialist Republic and U.S. Policy, published back in December of 2022. And you were there during the presidential campaign of Donald Trump. Uh, General Fred, first to you. It does feel like everything's blowing up. Let me tell you the latest you may not have heard. So we did these airstrikes against the Houthis late last week in Yemen, and they didn't seem very effective. It, it said in the newspaper, we may have only knocked out at, at most 20% of their drones and missiles. But the Wall Street Journal said yesterday that before we bombed them, we warned the Houthis so they could evacuate their facilities. Well, I wonder how many weapons they removed from them uh, before we bombed. And, I, and, and the journal says correctly, this will be interpreted throughout the Middle East as a sign of weakness. And I think it sort of epitomizes the incompetent national security policy of this president. Yeah, I saw that. And I kind of like dismissed that. That couldn't be. That couldn't be. They warned him. Uh, wow. Waleed, what kind of <laughs> message is that sending? I mean, and what are your thoughts overall as the world, especially in the Middle East, seems to be erupting? Well, Fred served. He knows what's happening on the inside when it happens. But let me analyze this. It's not just in Yemen against the Houthis that our administration is acting very strangely. Even in Syria and Iraq, we have been adopting the same position. We are telling the, let's say, the Iraqi PMF militias and others, possibly with the Iranians themselves, that, you know, we have to answer, we have to reply, but we're not going to do it very big. Why? Because there is an umbrella. It's the Iran deal. As long as we are engaged in that transaction, we don't want to lose that transaction, I would start asking the question, why? What's in it for us in that big transaction? Everywhere in the Middle East, with Hezbollah, with Hamas, with the militias in Iraq and in Syria, and now obviously with the Houthis, God knows where, we are not doing a full checking 
of the Iran expansion in the region. That's the big uh, picture. Uh, Joe Biden today, and talk about a, uh, a guy who's not conveying strength. What did they used to say? Strength through weak... Uh, uh, Peace through strength. Peace, peace through strength. Thank you very much. I just ran a two-minute montage of peace through strength. This would be the opposite message. Take a look at Joe. Are the airstrikes in Yemen working? Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. I don't know, Fred. It's um, maybe too much information and not enough and very weird kind of optics at the same time. I think what we're seeing here, you know, Iran didn't just fire missiles at Pakistan this week. It fired missiles at Iraq and at Syria. I think Iran sees an opportunity, as you said at the beginning of the show. It sees exceptional American weakness that's going to last, hopefully, only until the end of the year. And it's cashing in. And it's trying to take advantage of this weakness and disarray in the Middle East to establish itself as a leading Middle East player that no one should mess with. Waleed, I know you're on Team Trump. So am I. I'm, I'm rooting for him left and right. But give me your honest assessment of the world. They, are they fearful? Are they hopeful that he comes back? The international community, how do they see it? Not that I particularly, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I am curious. Well, we lived this before the Trump administration, during the Trump campaign. I have been engaging then many, many 50 diplomats at the time, and they have been expressing different views. Those who are against us or critic of the United States in general were happy with the previous, previous administration, with the Obama administration that brought about the Iran deal, the Ikhwan deal. Remember that trip to Cairo and meeting with the seniors of the Muslim Brotherhood? When he came, obviously, these friendly countries shifted to become the opposition, a very fierce opposition. And now they are concerned, obviously. If a new Trump administration is formed and the policies of before 2020 are resuming and people like Fred or others are back, that's a major problem for the folks, not for the friends. Hey, Tony, um, so, yeah, Tony Blinken at the World Economic Forum. Every time he talks, I feel like America goes down a notch in the world's estimation. But uh, take a look at this. If we can change the, the larger direction of uh, a region like the Middle East. Uh, a lot of these other problems will be minimized, if not, uh, if not totally eliminated. The excuses, the rationales that various troublemakers have for, for making trouble, they go away. So that's also part of an effective way of dealing with the, with the challenge. Look, uh, on Iran, I'm not going to put it on a scale of 1 to 10, but I think it was a big mistake to tear up the Iran nuclear agreement. We had Iran's nuclear program in a box. Since the agreement was torn up, it's escaped from that box. All right, trying to blame it on Trump, trying to. And by the way, what's he doing over there? It seems like a waste of time. It also seems like a commercial for Tony Blinken and West Exec Partners, which is where he's going to go when he leaves, right? I mean, these guys go to these dopey forums and get interviewed by people. Why, Fred? Why do they really do that? What is the utility? This is the global league getting together and talking about how they want to dominate the world, what they want to do to promote efforts to make decisions that takes the decision-making out of the hands of a U.S. president or the U.S. Congress. Let's have them made by the United Nations. Let's have them made by the European elite. And look, you, you may remember when Joe Biden, when he became president, he said he enjoyed being part of the European club. And I think the European club was happy to have him. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and he was running around, they said, night and day, and something tells me he was not doing our business, not the business <laughs> of the United States of America. Fred Flights and Waleed Ferris, thank you both. Check out at Waleed Ferris and go to AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Be right Good to be here. Remember this horrible school shooting in Uvalde? It's about a year and a half ago. Uh, those beautiful children uh, killed, and I think two adults as well. Horrific, horrific. And the law enforcement response was pathetic, beyond. Uh, you saw cops running away and then just loitering, loitering down the hall um, for hours while, well, that guy shot people and young kids bled out. It was so bizarre. So bizarre. I don't blame the Justice Department for investigating, and uh, it sounds like they did a very thorough report, found a lot of shortcomings, and, but I don't know. I don't know if all the training in the world can give you common sense and courage. You know, you got to take some risks in life. Not everything is. Anyway, here's the Deputy Attorney General announcing the report. It is hard to look at the truth that the law enforcement response on May 24th was an unimaginable failure, and that a lack of action by adults failed to protect children and their teachers. But we cannot look away from what happened here. We cannot look away from these children, and we cannot look away from what happened in Uvalde. I get that, totally. Hard to look at the truth, but you can't look away. But that same administration it's so easy for them to look away from January 6th. January 6th, that was a massive security failure. And it's never discussed, not even by the January 6th committee. How about that? How these guys got in there? What's going on with that? You know, it raises difficult questions, right? Was there an element of complicity? I want to know. And she was just talking about a lack of action from the officers. I saw that on January 6th. It, there was a strange inaction, like this moment. Why are you letting this happen? Why haven't you called for backup? Where is your backup? This is our damn Capitol building, and y'all are letting it get destroyed on your watch. Just people standing around when someone was begging for help. And if you've been watching this show, you know the questions we have. Who was that little cop waving everybody in? Come right this way. Step right up to the Capitol building. Why were those officers just standing there as more people came into the Capitol? People who would later be charged with horrible federal crimes. People who did not break anything or hurt anybody. And of course, Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed woman shot and killed by then Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who has since been promoted to captain and kept on the job and not disciplined. And those three officers just walking away. How is it possible for the government, our government, to look away from all of that? It's not possible for me to look away from all of that. No way. And I'm never going to stop until justice is done. Thank goodness there's a lawsuit that's finally been filed against Capitol Police on behalf of uh, the estate of Ashley Babbitt. Hmm? All right. We also have this to ponder. Kevin Morris, that's Hunter Biden's uh, 
best friend, apparently, the guy in the maroon jacket. Who is this mysterious character always hanging around Hunter and always giving him money and giving him rides on his private jet? Kevin Morris has always been there. <laughs> uh, they only met a few years ago, actually, but he's always by Hunter's side. Here he is on Capitol Hill last week. You see him walking with Hunter. Um, so, so far, we believe that he has gifted Hunter Biden. First of all, he's worth about $30 million himself. Apparently made it in the music business. Good for him. Why would he take more than 10% of his money? So far, how much is it? Four-something million dollars? Yeah, he gave $4.9 of that money to Hunter. He's also one of those guys buying those crummy paintings. Why? Why would anybody do that? Uh, what's he going to get in return? Just friendship? Just a bromance? Something's up. I think. Who knows? Be right back. Hello, girls. There's Annalise and her little sister, Madeline, uh, throwing stuff in the water at the botanical gardens. I did not make that trip. I regret not going there. I got a job. Uh, they went on a recent Tuesday morning. I love you girls, and I'll be home soon. Many thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.